Hola, ¿qué tal? It's Paul here with another episode of the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for listening. And speaking of listening, or rather listeners, I found out quite an interesting and exciting uh, statistic actually a few days ago. There is a podcast search engine called Listen Notes. And, uh, well, according to Listen Notes and their statistics, uh, the When in Spain podcast is now one of the top 1.5% most popular shows out of 1,979,525 podcasts that are currently available globally. Wow. So in the top 1.5% of nearly 2 million podcasts. So a huge thank you to everyone who listens to this show. So if you're a long-term listener, thank you for continuing to listen and support the podcast. And if you're new to the show, big thank you also. And I hope you continue to listen. Let's see if we can, uh, in the next year, push When in Spain up into the top 1% of the most popular shows uh, globally. You know, it's great to know that when I open this microphone and start speaking, that there are people out there that uh, listen and enjoy the show. And it's really motivating for me as well to know that When in Spain has a, a loyal and growing and very engaged audience of Spain fanatics uh, just like me. So a big, big thank you. Anyway, let's crack on with the podcast. Last episode, as I'm sure many of you will know, we talked about Menorca. And well, this week we're actually staying in the Balearic Islands and we're going to be exploring the neighbouring and much bigger island of Mallorca. And to help uncover the lesser known side of the island of Mallorca, joining me is longtime Mallorca resident and guide of the island, Gina Basquez. Gina's lived in Mallorca since 1994. She lives down in the southwest of the island in Santa Ponsa. She actually has a background in graphic design and advertising. And uh, what she did run with her husband, uh, a boutique ad agency on Mallorca for many years. But in 2012, she decided to set up her own tour company, organizing specialist tours and private visits called Visit My Mallorca. And Gina organizes tours around Palma, she organises art experiences, visits to private art studios, art gallery tours, uh, artisan workshops, ceramics, sculpture. She also has tours, of course, about wine and gastronomy, history and heritage. And she's just in the process of devising a brand new tour of Mallorcan filming locations. We're going to talk about all of this in the hour ahead. With the help of Gina, we're going to be scratching beneath the surface uh, of the island as it shakes off its uh, reputation, I suppose, as a party island and a destination for mega tourism. So just before we have a chat with Gina, just a quick shout out to brand new When in Spain patrons. A huge gracias to Amy McPherson, Lindsay Joyner, a.k.a. Mavis Housecat, and to Stefan Seifer. Really, really do appreciate it. It really is with the little bit of financial support from the patrons that uh, I can keep continuing 
to bring this podcast to you guys, the listeners out there. And if you too enjoy the podcast and would like to show a little bit of support, you too can become a When in Spain patron by heading over to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain to sign up there. And if you're not in a position to support the podcast with a little bit of financial help, no problem. I completely understand. Well, what you could do is spread the word. If anyone in your circle of friends or in your family or your work colleagues is uh, interested in Spain, then recommend this podcast to them. They might enjoy it too. And even better than that, if you haven't done so yet, please consider leaving a short review on the podcast platform where you listen, like this one, which I received a few days ago from Matty AFC, who's a listener in the UK. He says, can't recommend this enough. Well-presented, eclectic, great guests, passionate, informative, and often fun. Well, that's great. Thank you, Matty AFC. Basically, that ticks a lot of the boxes on my objectives for this podcast. Okay, let's go and meet Gina in Mallorca. We're going to be talking about Palma, the capital, beautiful little towns and villages scattered across the island, which uh, she suggests for a visit, caves, mountains. We also talk about Juan Miró, who is the famous Catalan artist and sculptor. There is actually a Juan Miró foundation on the island of Mallorca, which you can visit. And of course, Gina organizes tours to the Juan Miró foundation. Interesting little story, which she'll tell you about, um, is her husband actually knew Juan Miro personally. And also another little fascinating slice of history I had no idea about. Gina tells us about a Franciscan friar who was from a small agricultural village in the centre of the island of Mallorca who went on to found 21 Spanish missions in California and actually went on to found many of the cities in California such as San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. And he was from this little village right in the centre of Mallorca. So without further ado, let's take a little trip to Mallorca and chat to Gina Vasquez. Vamos! Gina, thank you for joining me on the When in Spain podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here to talk about Mallorca. Uh, Gina, you've been on the island around 25 years uh, or a bit more. Um, tell us how you came to call Mallorca your home. Well, um, we arrived here from, from Madrid, actually. Um, I arrived in Spain in 1988, just two weeks after I was married. Um, in 1994, we decided to, to move to Mallorca. It was, my son was a year old, so um, we've lived here ever since. And then I got into um, what I'm doing now in about uh, 2012. And tell us about where you live on the island. Well, we're living um, ever since we arrived here in uh, Santa Ponsa, which is the southwest of the island. It's uh, a very popular area. There's a lot of resorts here. It's the municipality of Pavia. Here we have the famous Magaluf, uh, which I'm sure you've heard about, which is just a sliver of the entire island. Pagera, um, yeah. Deninat, Santa Ponsa, and the village of, of Calvia and Capilla itself. So we're quite happy here. We're very close to the coast, although we're not... In the village of Santa, in the town of Santa Ponsa, we're just on the outskirts. We I don't see. have to deal with a lot of the, the summer resort 
crowd. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Magaluf. I think a lot of people will uh, be familiar with that name, the kind of, I suppose, the extreme side of tourism. Bit of a reputation. I wonder if that's changing now. I know that there have been lots of things in the news over the years of young, drunk Northern Europeans going there, wreaking havoc in Magaluf, but that's not really the yeah. side of your career. <laughs> Good to be yeah, they, they do, but they're the, the, the town hall here, Calvia, you know, they're um, kind of trying to change that image. They're calling it uh, Calvia Beach instead of Magaluf. Uh, there's um, ah. some hotels, some, some big hotels, the Melia Hotel and a few others. They've done some uh, major reforms, you know, to attract, attract more families. They've yeah. started a built a really nice commercial center. That's interesting. So it's, it's undergoing something of a kind of rebranding a little yes. bit. Let's talk about the history of the island though. It's got fascinating history behind it. Let's just pick out some of the edited highlights of the history of Mallorca from, okay. from your point of view. They seem to think that the settlements, the first people that have been recognized on Mallorca was from about 2,700 years ago. Wow. And these were the Talayotic people. So there is a rich um, archaeological uh, uh, history here on the island. So this is about the time of Stonehenge. So you can find these um, stone settlements and towns where people lived in that period. These settlements date back as long ago as Stonehenge in, in England. Yes. That's incredible. Uh, there are entire villages, you know, here uh, Stone is one in, in Artha. There's another one near the coast, not far from the airport. There, there's a number of them. Some are better preserved than others. The Romans were the first uh, settlers who came at the end of this period in 123 before Christ, the Roman conquest, and they settled Palma. But their main settlement was in the north, in uh, Poientia, which is now another archaeological site just outside the walls of Alcudia in the north. So so the Romans, they, they founded the city of Palma. They had a small wall settlement there where the cathedral is now and where the Almudina Palace, that was a small um, settlement. So they were here for several hundred years, and then came the Vandals, um, the Byzantines after them, and this is what was called the like the dark period in Mallorca history. There's not a whole lot of uh, knowledge about what happened then, but there was a lot of social unrest and economic and political unrest. Mm-hmm. And then in about 902, in the early 10th century, the Moors arrived, and it was a part of the Caliphate of Cordoba. And yeah. then the Christian king, uh, King James, or King uh, Ray Jaume the first of um, who's the king of Aragon. King Jaume, King James. Yes, yes, there's a big statue in the Plaza España. And he arrived actually here in Santa Ponsa in 1229. And then December 31st of 1229, they pushed through the walls of, um, of Palma to conquer Palma and, and the island. So right after 1229 is when um, the major monuments we find in the city were, were created. You know, the cathedral, uh-huh. the Madonna Palace, the Longha, the Belder Castle. Uh-huh. And then later they, there was a lot of incursions of... Um, of pirates from different parts of the Mediterranean and from Turkey. So there was a whole system of towers, watchtowers around the island, which still exist. And that's one of the reasons why we have all these resort areas, for example, here in Calaria, because nobody lived on the coast. <laughs> Because it was dangerous. So it was a kind of island where the, for a long, long time, the locals effectively were turning their backs on the sea completely and looking inland to live and cultivate right. and, and survive right. away right. from the coasts. Interestingly, the origin of the name of the island comes from the medieval Latin Mallorca, the, the larger one, uh, talking right. about.
about talking about the three Balearic Islands, I guess, uh, compared to Menorca, smaller ones. What's the landscape of the island like? The island is quite large, with 1,500 square miles. The backbone of the island is in the, the west, from the southwest to the northwest, which is the Tramontana Mountain. Ah, yeah, the Tramontana uh, Mountains. Range. Uh, so it's over 50 miles from the southwest to the northwest. Just in 2000, 2011, it was declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And then we have a Palma, and then outside of Palma, um, going towards the airport, it's what they call the Bla. And this is the plain. The plains, the plains yeah. of the island, the plain, right, the yeah. breadbasket of, of Mallorca. This is the interior agricultural land, I, right. I imagine. And in this area, though, it's relatively flat. There are some, um, what we call the mountains, but high points. Those are areas where nowadays, I mean, back in the day, they created the, like sanctuaries, ermitas, and these are places which today you can visit. You know, there's incredible views of the entire island and of the coast. And of course, there's the coast and there's, you know, areas that are quite dry, but it's like a small continent. It's very, I'm from California originally, so <laughs> it's, there's a very much of a common tie there, you know, it's, it's similar to me. In fact, Bonico Serra, who was from this area of the plain in the middle of the island called Petra, um, was the founder of the California mission. He was the founder of cities of Los Angeles, San Francisco, wow. <laughs> San Diego. These were the original missions that later became big cities. It's from this little farming village here in the middle of Mallorca. That's incredible. So yeah. he, he was he was from a small farming village in Mallorca. He went right. on to set up missions on the on the west coast of the United States, and he yes. basically founded uh, these cities of. San Francisco and Los Angeles. It's incredible to think mm-hmm. that, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, it's amazing that from this village, he was the son of a, of a farmer yeah. who um, was sent to the village school and they realized, you know, this is quite an intelligent kid. So he was educated and sent to, to Palma. And um, at the time, missionaries were uh, going to the New World. And so he, among other, you know, along with other uh, Mallorcan um, priests, they became missionaries from Mexico and and to onwards to California. Wow. So yeah, it's quite, and his house can be visited where he used to live, and they've set up a, a little museum. Let's go and look at some of the favourite sites around the island then. A few recommendations for people planning a visit. Let's start with the capital of the island, Palma. Big city, really. It's a pushing half a million, I guess. Yeah, uh, almost. There's an old city that originally was surrounded by walls. And those walls uh, were dropped in the early 20th century. And all that's left is what is along the, the seafront. Mm-hmm. But Palma itself is, is much larger. You know, After they knocked the walls down, very well connected. It's got a, yes. a very a large international airport, very, very close, only a few kilometers from the city. And of course, uh, a large port as well, which is there. Yes. Uh, obviously, a place where uh, big cruise ships come in uh, and dock. You know, a lot of luxury yachts. I mean, thousands and thousands of yachts, you know, yacht repairing yards. Uh, yes, it's a very important, it's always been a very important port. In the city, um, I usually start the tour up in the high part of the city, and, uh, in Plaza España. Plaza de España. Mm-hmm. Right, Plaza España, where the statue of um, King James, because that's where he broke through the walls, you know. I that's see. where, uh, and just a little up from there, is where the, um, the Moorish king surrendered. So I kind of like to follow these areas, and also because that part of the city 
you start to see the change, the social and economic changes, because it's the monumental part of the city has gotten so expensive now for, for rent. So you get in a lot of, um, you know, big chains, you know, that can afford to, to rent the rent spaces mm -hmm. there. So it's nice to see the change, you know. So from there we walk down towards the sea and towards the monumental area and, and the cathedral. Yeah. So in that area, you know, I would recommend visiting Olivar Market, which is um, not the oldest, it's from the 1950s, but it's the largest indoor market. Olivar Market. Olivar. Olivar. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah. Olivar market. I mean, they're fantastic places just to watch the world go by, aren't they? Yeah. It's a bit of a right. cliche to say right. a theatre of food, but they are kind of theatres, really. I mean, it's interesting to watch the yes. local, especially yeah. if it's a kind of market it's where fun. the locals do their shopping. I don't know that market. When I've been to Palma, I think I, it was a different one I went to. Uh, I don't know if it's Santa, the same, Catalina. Santa Catalina in the Santa yes, Catalina neighbourhood. That's the oldest one. Yeah, that's closer to the sea. And Santa Catalina was uh, was originally a fishing village. It's become gentrified, you know, these yeah. past years. But um, yeah, that's also beautiful. And that's the oldest one in the sea. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the cathedral, La, La So, really worth mentioning. I mean, you can't miss the cathedral, really. No, Impossible no. to miss the cathedral on a visit to Palma. You would definitely no, see no, no. it. I can't um, imagine Palma without the cathedral. No, it's, it's, it's very impressive. Set slightly up yeah, on the hill. Yeah, it's set up on a hill. It's, yeah, mm. set up, and it's the only Gothic cathedral that's built facing the sea. If you can imagine Palma without the, the road running and below the cathedral, and the, the wall, the water came almost up to that to that wall. Up to that wall. So yeah. yeah. So this Amazing. was, as I mentioned, Palma was founded by the Romans that area. So there was, I think, originally a Roman temple, and then later the the Moors. There was an important, uh, the most important, um, a mosque was in that that spot. And then over that, uh, little by little, uh, well, it was after, shortly after the conquest, uh, it was the idea of James I to build a cathedral. Because the story goes that as they were coming from um, Catalonia, they came across a great storm. The captain of the ships wanted to go back. And he said, no, 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 we've got to keep going. And if we arrive safely, I promise the Virgin Mary that I will build a cathedral in her honor. They discovered just recently that they thought it was started later, like maybe the early 14th century. Mm -hmm. I think it was more in the 13th, middle of the 13th century when it was started. So shortly after the conquest. I think that the Catalan style, which is not cluttered, you know, so you have these very high uh, mm. um, pillars in, in the interior. If you get there in the morning, I, I recommend going in the morning because the sun comes in through the main, the large rose window, which is one of the largest in all of Gothic. It's huge, it's big round rose window, yeah. So the sun comes in in the morning and you get all these beautiful reflections of the colored glass all over the cathedral on the floors and the pillars on yourself so it's really pretty so i recommend it's, in the morning and it's, it's got a beautiful kind of golden sandstone color i don't know if it is yes. sandstone, but it's and very the sandstone golden is all it's, it's all from the islands many of the buildings in that period are built with sandstone so the, the side that's closest to the sea is more worn you know because that's as the sea you know wears it down wears away and, <laughs> and, and then an interior like a lot of people don't realize that uh, Gaudi was here for, um, he was here from 1904 to 1914, and he was called by the bishop at the time to do a major interior redesign of the interior. <laughs> a makeover. Because, yeah, so uh, he did a makeover. <laughs> so, because they had, there was a, a lot of architectural elements that were obstructing the view, and he wanted the, the church to be for the people. A lot of those were removed or and moved into different places. Uh, some pieces were moved completely out of the cathedral. 
and um, he recreated the, the space in the interior. He also brought electricity to the cathedral, which he didn't have electricity. It's also very dark. Yeah. Most of the windows, uh, other than the rose windows, were from um, the 20th century. You know, that there were spaces for them, but they were walled up because it was a very expensive endeavor to, you know, put all the, the windows in. So many are from uh, the 20th century. Some of them are um, Gandhi's own design. In a very particular way of creating color by imposing one color of glass over the other to get the color he wanted. It's just a very important site. Mm. So La, La Lonca is um, across the street, uh, just on the other side of the main road. And actually, this was built, well, you're familiar with um, La Lonca in Valencia, but it's a copy of La Lonca in, in Mallorca and Palma, and it was built before. And what was La Lonca? What was its function? Well, it was commissioned by the Madame Merchant's Guild in the 15th century because they wanted to show the importance, of course, of their of their guild and of what they did because at the time, uh, Palma was such an important port. And uh, it was rather port where trade wasn't active, where people like, like Wall Street, you know, where people thought money. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and it's interesting because uh, the acoustics, um, you don't hear it when you're not when it's crowded. You can hear the acoustics are kind of garbled. You can't really hear what people are saying. And apparently, this was um, intentional because if you're talking about your, you know, economics, <laughs> your finances, you don't want other people to understand. So it was made. How clever! So yeah. the, the acoustics deliberately yeah. made uh, a kind right. of a, a garbled, yeah. and it's, it's, echoey it's atmosphere. The only building, and it's the only building in a city that hasn't been reformed. The way it was in the 15th century is the way yeah. it is now. Other than you know the big clean. Mm. It's, it's the same. Yeah. And so now sometimes, you know, they haven't had any recent years, but they have artists that are there. And it has, uh, it's, it's run by the city and it has kind of a strange. My kind of impression of Palma when I visited was, it's, it's just a lovely city. It's not too overwhelming, but you can just go, you can just wander and get a bit lost in the bank streets. Um, yes, uh, and it's and very safe, you know, because very like much. to take people up the back streets and they say, mm. They wouldn't walk in these streets on their own because, you know, especially Americans are kind of, oh, you know, it's an alley, you know, should I go down there? But it's safe, you know. And actually, they're not alleys, these are streets. <laughs> that, yeah, that's fun. And also in these days of COVID, you know, it's ideal, you know, to take people in the back streets where you're not going to run into crowds. Let's get out of Palma and let's uh, explore a, l- a little bit of more unknown Mallorca getting out across the island. Could you recommend us a few beautiful towns and villages, maybe inland or, or on the coast, just to really get a good slice of authentic Mallorcan okay. life? Yeah. You see, Neo is, is very interesting, even if it's not a market day, because it's rather a large town. Um, so there's a lot to see there. And, and so, Sorry, what's it called? Just repeat oh, the name. Sineu, S-I-N-E-U. Aha, uh-huh, Sineu. Yeah, so there they have the oldest market that's been going on since, I don't know, the 15th century. Wow. Something like that. That's on, on Wednesday, Wednesday mornings. So, But that's also interesting to explore, even when the market is not open, because some of the architecturally, it's a typical village architecture of that, of that area. Mm-hmm. Another one that I that is off the beaten path is Sineu above Soya. It's just a little mountain, tiny little mountain village. But it's at the foot of uh, a path that leads into the Tramontana Mountains, which they call the dry stone route. Oh, it gets quite, 
crowded on weekends by you know by the locals who are going up walking so you don't want to drive your car too far in because it's like one way and it's really narrow another one out in the southeast on the coast the, the closest village in interior is Salanich, and then puerto petro and puerto colon there's some beautiful uh, towns one of them i think is puerto petro has a big hotel on the coast but the Ports themselves are, are beautiful. Puerto Colón also has a little beach there and, you know, a lighthouse, really, really pretty. Hmm. And in the mountain area, what is Banyal Bufar? Banyal Bufar. Is this the area, this is up on the coast where you mentioned just then the Moors built these uh, terraces for yeah, cultivating a, yeah. for vineyards? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful terraces there. And then there's also just a little on the outside outside of the town, there's Esverger, uh, which is one of these um, watchtowers. It's interesting, that little story, because this archduke wanted to buy the watchtower because at one time they were all put for sale by the government. Mm. And he bought it, but he did not own the land between the road and the watchtower. It was owned by an old man in the village. And he offered him, you know, quite a good sum. And he said, no, 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 no. This has always been in my family. I could never, never, ever sell it. So uh, apparently this old man was, the story goes, he was, uh, you know, cleaning the undergrowth and, and he fell. He fell over the cliff and, and, you know, tragically died. And his grandson took it as a sign that this happened because he did not sell <laughs> the land to the archduke. So he offered it to the archduke and it was a better price. Wow. So. <laughs> I quite liked um, Soyer. It's maybe a little bit bigger, oh, yeah. but I, I like uh-huh. this kind of this, the square in the in the town. Mm-hmm. It's quite nice, yeah. and I guess that's kind of maybe a starting point for you know if you wanted to do a kind of a coastal drive along the west coast, right. um, like right. you said with Banyal Bufar and uh, right. uh-huh. Bayer. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, from Soyer you can drive um, if you're driving southwest, coming down. You would go through uh, Bayer and Banyal Bufar, Yang. And if you're going the other way, uh, towards the north, um, you could take in uh, Sac Calobra, which is that snake, Sac Calobra is a snake. So it's this drive that goes down to the coast, which um, is amazing. It was built by a, an engineer, a Mallorcan engineer, who it has no tunnels, no bridges, and he just followed the land. And that was the whole idea, to follow the land. So it's snakes in and out and around and around. And it's, uh, it's a very good road. I've done it. But um, it's also in the high season when you get buses and cyclists and motorcycles and cars. And then you can go as far as Formentor and the, the, the far end and the north, you know, the end of the world, <laughs> the northwest. <laughs> and Formentor is, uh, there's another lighthouse there. Actually, some of the, the best view is before you get to the lighthouse is um, an area called Escolom- Escolomer. Escolomer. Which, uh, which also, I think was built by the same um, engineer and uh, you have beautiful views from there. And you've also got, for people who are interested in hiking or cycling, um, the Mondrago Natural Park as well there, right? It's... Right, Mondrago. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, we used to go there a lot when our kids were smaller. And yeah. then there's also a very popular place is um, the Drax Caves, which... Um, Ah, a lot yes. of people hear about, and that's like, yes. oh, I know the Cuevas so, del Drac in, in, Port- again. Yeah, in Porto, uh, Porto Cristo. The largest underground lake in Europe. Um, I've been there twice, I think. Uh, yeah. It's spectacular. It's absolutely yeah, incredible, it's beautiful. One of those must places to see. Uh, at mm-hmm. the very end, they have uh, on the lake, they have uh, a small concert. Yeah. Uh, where they come up playing the violin and yeah and the first time I saw it was, wow <laughs> it was amazing it's spectacular it's very striking you don't expect yeah, yeah. To, I mean you go into these caves but you don't expect to see that huge lake no, 
underground. Say, you know, there's a saying that under Mallorca there's just a big hole because there's caves all over the place. Uh, that's the <laughs> most well-known one. There's another one in Henova, you know, near, near the port in, in Palma. Once I took a, um, a group of Irish hikers uh, on their very last day here and they wanted to say, you know, crazy things <laughs> off the beaten path. So on one of these visits where you meet the owner of these incredible estates, there is a cave on his land. And so, um, you know, he, he took them there and I was kind of expecting, you know, a little bit more condition, but it was pitch black. You know, they all had their little helmets on with, with lamps yeah. at me. <laughs> I held on to the, 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 the guy, you know, the owner. Um, it was amazing. Um, yeah. I wouldn't go again. And one of the guys who was going to go, went, went with us, he was from Indonesia. I don't remember which country in Indonesia. And it was, this was a surprise for this group of people between, and it was planned between me and the, you know, the, the uh, head guy who was organizing the trip. And so he had no idea he was going into a cave and he was so kind of upset because <laughs> his religion, they don't go into caves until they pray to the saint or the, the, the God of the cave. And oh, really? uh, he did go in, but he was a little, you know, disoriented at first. It was quite an experience. And that was really interesting because this group of, Irish hikers, they couldn't believe where they were. It's just, this does not look like Mallorca that, that people think of. So sure. I took them on a road that's not very used between Buñola and uh, Alaró through the mountains. And it, you go up into high pastures and it's very green. And this looks like Ireland. Nobody would know we were in Mallorca if I showed them. Yeah, because that is surprising as you get up into the higher lands of the island. Right. Green and... Yeah. yeah, the highest mountains are about you know, 3,000 feet, so it's real. You mentioned almonds earlier, but I mean, um, there are orange groves and almond groves and vineyards across the island, I guess. Um, yes. If someone wanted to explore those or, or try and visit or get in, get in amongst those groves, um, how, how can they do it? Where well, would you if, you're, if you're hiking, um, there's hiking paths throughout the island. You see them as you're driving also, especially like even the road between um, Palma and, for example, going to Valdemosa. It's just, you know, open land there for, and if you see the beautiful, not only almond trees, but you see these big, big trees. And people ask what they are, and they're, they're carob trees. Carob. Uh, carob, yeah, trees. carob. Most of those were grown for, feeding, you know, the, the seeds of use of feeding the animals. Mm-hmm. But in recent years, there there's small companies that have popped up because people, you know, they want to live here and they're trying to find a way to make a living here. And yeah. they've created companies that are, you know, using this to create uh, food products. So, right. And then the olive season is um, about mid-October. So, you know, we can we organize um, groups of people want to go into the olive field because everything is pretty private, you know, the land is private. Sure. When when King Jaume came, he divided up the island among his followers. Many of those people went back to the mainland, and then they passed the land on to their their family and their their, their followers. And over the centuries, you know, it's been sold or subdivided or kept, you know, in, in some cases. Mm-hmm. So all the land is private. So you often need permission to go into certain to certain areas. If you go um, in another of the places where this archduke lived on the coast, on Morage, which is in the municipality, it's between Valdemosa and Deja. He's paying three euros. You know, you can hop the fence and walk among the among the olive trees there. Oh wow, that sounds fantastic! For yeah, three beautiful. euros, you can walk amongst yeah. the olive trees. Yeah, and then from there, you can walk all the way down. There's like a, a jetty that goes out to sea called Saporadala. It's 
takes, I don't know, like an hour to walk down. And okay. at the very end, but you don't see from the, from the, the top, there's a, a restaurant where they make incredible pies all over, all over um, uh, open fire. So mm-hmm. and the only way you can get there is if you walk down or if you come in by a boat. <laughs> It would be remiss of us to not talk about uh, the coast and beaches and little Calas, the little coves. Mm-hmm. My last visit there, I, I really liked uh, Cala Figuera, which is a little fishing port. Doesn't, right. doesn't have a beach, but it's quite quite quirky and interesting and, yeah, very pretty. And then the other one, I think, was the Calo des, des Moro and Espontas with that kind of big right. natural arch in the water, kind of made it kind of sort of eroded, right. uh, mm-hmm. like an eroded cliff, which is formed an arch. I really mm-hmm. like those. What are your favorite secret beaches and palace, which are kind of pretty to visit? Well, uh, Cantalmo, which is the municipality of Andras. And it's a tiny little village on the coast. And they have a nice little beach there. And a little string of restaurants. It's very, very nice, rather exclusive. Not a place where you find a lot of people. For some reason, there's a lot of French people that go there in the summer. Oh, okay. But in the rest of the year, it's just really, really quiet. But that, that's the place I like, and it's you know, not far from where, where I live. For a lot of people, like especially with families, they choose the uh, area Poyensa, which is a beautiful, pretty open area for, for families that have the sand beaches. There's a number of the colors that are might, maybe hard to get to, or they may not have sand. A lot of it, there's a lot of beautiful colors in the Tramontana Mountains, but there's no, there's no sand. Uh, Soya, the port, you know, it is a port, but there is the site called um, Edrepic, which is the port of Soya. Instead of going off to the right, there's a road you take and you end up on the left side of the port, and they have a very smooth little little beach there, again, with nice little, nice restaurants. So that's that's a nice place. Then again, yeah, the south, like as we mentioned, Mondrago, but the southeast is probably less developed. Estrenc, you know, Estrenc is uh, super, it's a virgin beach, so um, it doesn't have the facilities that some people might be looking for. And then also there's a beach we used to go outside of the Colonia San Jordi. So you park in the Colonia, and then you walk, you know, you go walk a few beaches over and there's another uh, beautiful place to go. Again, without uh, facilities, but it's sure. beautiful. You mentioned restaurants in some of those places there. Uh, let's use that as a little segue to talk about food and drink then. Any kind of common local delicacies or th- food and drink that people should try on a visit to Mallorca? Well, it's interesting because um, speaking of the difference at the beginning between Spain and Mallorca, mm. uh, tapas are not native to Mallorca. You find them, but when I arrived, you didn't find much of the way of tapas. What they have here, I mean, now they have tapas, of course, mm. but uh, they have what are called raciones. 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 Are, yeah, mm. they're like a small meal, generally in a, the typical Mallorcan um, ceramic brown little bowls. I guess the most, some of the most popular dishes are the dessert, of course, is the ensaymada, which is the most iconic. In, uh, ensaymada, you'll find these in all of the bakeries around the island right. in Palma. This is like a sweet coil-shaped pastry. Right, correct. Uh-huh. One of the best places to buy it, there's, uh, well, there's some beautiful bakeries, but if you're in Palma itself, is Corneta La Soca, which I I mentioned is run by Tomeo Arbona, who's a man who was a psychologist. But again, you know, he remade himself after this last economic crisis of 2008. And since he always loved food and he recreated himself as a 
gastronomic archaeologist. A gastronomic so, archaeologist. archaeologist. So he investigates, you know, food of the past, what everybody ate, because you would have the food that the people on the farms ate, which is very simple. Um, pork is a very important element in the food here, uh-huh. and, and vegetables. And then he um, would sometimes organize events where you would eat in one of these beautiful mansions in Palma, and he would prepare a dinner as the as the lords, you know, the nobility, because they ate differently. I just, I'm just looking at the website now, and for the listeners, I'll put a link to, to this mm-hmm. here. He looks like a real character. There's a photo oh, of him yeah. on his website. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming with his wife yes. saying, uh, he's saying, uh, thank you, Palmer, for awarding us the first prize, the first prize for some gastronomic competition in 2000, well, this year, 2021. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> it looks very interesting. Yeah, yeah, he just posted something, I think, on Facebook. Yeah. Or they're dancing in, in carnival costumes, and yeah, yeah they're, they're yeah. fun. <laughs> they have a lot like, of fun. It looks like a lot of fun. What about drink? I mean, local wine? There's uh, over 80 wineries on the island. Oh, wow. I didn't expect <laughs> that many. Yeah, there's many, many. Of course, there's been wine making here since the time of the Romans. Mm. Um, they say they used to export wine from Mallorca to Rome. And, of course, the Philosera virus, which uh, decimated the vineyards here and in France on the mainland in the the 19th century and about um, 1880s, around 1885, uh, decimated the vineyard. So a lot of people emigrated at that time. So winemaking didn't come again until it started in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, but since then, it's just boomed again. So all, there's also private investment from outside of Mallorca. So there's over 80 wineries at the moment. So that's another excursion we make, you know, visiting whatever I call the Passion Wine Tour, where we visit two or three wineries with a nice meal. So there's uh, native grapes also, which um, they use in combination with some other more uh, well-known varieties. So uh, there's also a shop I take people to for um, Palma with Wine Tour, where uh, we have a very entertaining guest, you know, host, who uh, gives a little bit about the history of winemaking on the island and where they can taste different wines made with different local varieties because people don't realize that there's also more besides uh, Cabernet. And <laughs> what about any quirky or unusual traditions? I imagine there must be festivals because there are festivals and fiestas yeah. that happen all over Spain. Well, uh, one that's very popular is um, San Sebastián, which uh, takes place this January 19th. San Sebastián is, well, is the patron saint of Palma. You can visit his arm in the cathedral if you like. You can visit his arm. arm. (laughs) (laughs) So they have a very uh, kind of wild fiesta that goes on for about a week in Palma. And it's visited by brotherhoods of um, demoni. There are people that are dressed up like like devils. And and in the Mediterranean, fire is a very important element. It's kind of the cleansing that people go through. Mm. In, the, in, the, in the winter so the whole street you know in a few times and the whole city just has is red it turns red you know with the fire the bonfires taking place so here in every plaza there's you know music going on and the mus- musicians and people are um having torradas which is like the barbecue so people bring their own meat and they place it in, in these uh, bonfires and it's a very social thing a lot of people they just close up the city to cars you know 
show. Yeah, and then there's different different uh, towns that might have a very particular festival with particular dances and particular costumes that might be just for for their area or for or for their village or certain. And let's talk a bit about your tours then, because you you organise tours and uh, you actually have a kind of, I guess, a sort of selection of different types of tours, depending on people's interests and needs Uh and how much time they have on the island. On uh, some of the tours you run, you uh, focus on Palma, the capital, which is where a lot of people arrive, big Mm -hmm. port lots of cruise ships, um, one of the busiest airports in the world during mm. summer season. And also you get out f- farther afield as well, across the island. You know, it's a bit more off the beaten path, a bit, you know, not the obvious stuff, but you include visits to local artists and artisans and things like that. I started my own company called uh, Visit My Mallorca. Visit My Mallorca. And the idea of this was to um, create private tours, you know, for mm-hmm. small groups generally. A lot of people come here and they want to see the things that they've all read about. And that's fine. If you want to see that, you know, if you insist, <laughs> I can take you or we can take you. Because I also work with uh, other guides, um, chefs, you know, archaeologists, uh, art curators. Yeah. So it's not only me. You're well connected on the island. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. The ideas take um, what they call, you know, off the beaten path and places people would probably not find on their own. Yeah, we take people to... Uh, you know, private estates, you know, for example, to like what I call it, meet the family. So yeah. they're private estates where um, owned by Mallorca who open their home and they prepare a meal. You get a tour of their house, which are these incredible aristocratic houses that they've tried to keep in furniture as appeared in the 19th century or, or even before. We take people to some of the some of the gardens that uh, some are open to the public, but they're places that are people don't visit. You don't hear about them much. Also to visit uh, artists and their studios and artisans in the city and their studios and workshops and this takes place throughout the island. But that's great. So, you, you know, your, your guests... Uh, get the opportunity to go into these small workshops, um, right. meet the creators, the artists, the artisans, and see mm-hmm. them at work. And uh, and also, it's just, a, I guess, obviously, a, a fantastic way of supporting that local community of artists yes. and artisans and putting some money into the economy rather right. than just buying the kind of touristy stuff that everyone always buys. And important to mention, because I think this is a really interesting connection to Mallorca, is you organise tours to the Joan Miró Foundation, Joan Miró, the famous artist. And your husband actually knew him personally, met him many times. Well, my husband arrived in Spain in about 1969, 1970. And he lived several years in Palma before I met him in California in the 1980s. And while he was here, he taught in the Balearic International School. And there, there was a garage, you know, that wasn't being used. So he created, he was, a, he was an art, he was an art teacher, a ceramic teacher there. So he wanted to create an art gallery. So he cleaned it up. And the first exhibit was an anniversary for Miro, some of his work of, of, about Mallorca. And so he, he was there. And then also, besides the exhibit, they um, reproduced murals in the, around Henova. And they got a lot of press. And when Juan, my husband, showed it to Miro, uh, my, Miro couldn't believe it. He says, do you think they're going to read about this in the, rest of, in the rest of Spain? Yeah, so he knows a lot about him. You know. It's quite a claim to fame, actually, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and what's the um, foundation like? Uh, if you take someone on a tour there, what, what can they expect to see? Well, as you walk in, uh, you start to see the sculpture garden. It's a, a sculpture garden. It's in it's, the actual um, museum foundation is in what they call 
Calamayor, which is just above uh, Marivent Palace, which is where the royal family comes and spends two weeks every summer. It's an area that got quite developed in the 60s. Miro was never happy about that. <laughs> so what you can find there is what they started to build after he passed away. He had, they built um, uh, a museum, which houses his permanent exhibit of his work and some changing exhibits of other artists. And then as you walk a little farther to the right is what they call the Tayet Cert. And this was his actual workshop. So this is a very historical, you know, like monument to Miro. Because he actually lived, his house is also there, which is not visible, but the workshop is. And then above that, there's uh, Son Bauder, which is a house from the, the 19th century that he also bought to avoid anybody else <laughs> building right over him. And there, it's a, it's, a, it's a house that was like the main house because this area would used to have vineyards there. So there's um, a terraces, built on terraces. And so he, you can see where he drew on the wall some of his sculptures and he worked in some of the large format there. And now in the summers, they have, uh, he also opened a printing shop there because uh, he wanted to reach the, the masses. And you also organize a cemetery tour, which has a particular famous oh, yeah. <laughs> occupant. Tell us about the cemetery tour. I'm, I'm quite intrigued. Well, I like, the, I like quirky things. <laughs> it definitely so sounds quirky. Tours, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we're going through Palma and looking for, you know, talk about the legends, the curiosities, the oddities. And then um, the cemetery tour is something, I mean, cemetery is something I've always enjoyed visiting when I go mm. to other places because they're rather historical. And there's a lot of really interesting people. And there's one in particular who might, um, maybe some of your listeners have heard of. Um, her name was Jean Batten. And they mm-hmm. called her the Garbo of the Skies. She was a contemporary of Amelia Earhart. And she was a pilot from New Zealand. Jean Batten. And she's not highly well known because she kind of uh, disappeared after her, after her feet. But in the 1930s, she broke up all kinds of records. And along with Amelia Earhart, she was awarded the, the Harmon International Trophy for the most outstanding flight by a woman. And she won that three times. And then when she was 26, she became the very first person ever, man or woman, to fly from England to New Zealand in 11 days and 45 minutes. Wow, yeah, I didn't know that. Incredible. And during World War II, of course, she wanted to be a pilot, but being a woman, she wasn't allowed. She wasn't allowed, right. So, of course. so after World War II, um, she did other things. And then she started to, you know, she was very close with her mother. Uh, they lived around the world, and she finally settled in Mallorca in the late uh, 70s. Nobody knew who she was. She was just kind of this, you know, odd, you know, foreigner living in a, a hotel. Kind of anonymous, and, yeah. Yeah, kind of anonymous in Palma. And she loved to walk her dog, and in one of her walks, she was bitten, and she refused medical help. Apparently, she was attended by a, a cleaning woman who, you know, who be, she befriended, but she didn't want her to call in a doctor, so she got, they got infected, and it spread to her lungs, and she died. They found her dead. Oh. in a room they didn't know who she was and um i suppose i knew she where she was from but at the time from what i'd read is they did not have an embassy in in madrid and okay. so the news never got back it took like five years before her family found out she had died so she was buried in a, you know a commoner's grave a pauper's grave there's an area in, in the cemetery where um, these graves are with you know people's names and then uh, investigators came years later uh you know they found documents they found where she might have been, where she might be, and since then they put up, a, a, you know, a plaque in her memory. What a fascinating story! And uh, I know I've got I know I've got listeners in uh, it, I've definitely got listeners in New Zealand. So it's an interesting connection with Mallorca yeah, and, and New is. Zealand. Fascinating. Mm-hmm.
You are planning to organise tours uh, looking at um, filming locations around Mallorca. Ah, yes. Something new you've got on the horizon. I mean, I mean, important mm-hmm. to say, I guess, and many people may yes. already know this, is that um, Mallorca is, is kind of known as a bit of a playground for the rich and famous, you know, like Hollywood stars and musicians have sort of got one of their holiday homes there, these lovely, huge, right. big villas on the island. Yeah. Have you seen any of these rich and famous celebrities? I've caught glimpses of them, and um, yeah. um, I also work with uh, the Hotel La Residencia, which is a beautiful, famous hotel in um, in Bea, up in the Tramontana Mountains. So there, it's, um, when they've done some of this film work, they stay there. So I've caught a glimpse of Tom Hanks when they Tom were Tom Hanks. Yeah, okay, Tom Hanks. So I know. That's one of them. I know um, Michael Douglas had had, oh, yes. had a Michael huge Douglas. villa on the island that he was trying to sell for a while. Yeah. I don't well, know. He still does. He still does. Um, that, that was a house that belonged to the Archduke Luis Salvador, who was uh-huh. an Austrian duke who arrived in Mallorca and fell in love with it in the 19th century. And he was like the first uh, real estate, <laughs> you know, tycoon. Tycoon. Real estate up in the, the Tramontana Mountains. You know, he always shows the land with the best view. Yeah. And one of those places where there's a house where Mike, at Michael Douglas bought. I so, um, see, I see, I see. Michael Douglas, well, he was brought here by his first wife, uh, Linda Douglas. Yeah. He used to come here in the, in, the, in the summer. And so he fell in love with it. And apparently, what I've read, he came about this time of year in February when the almond trees are in bloom and he fell in love with the island. They bought this you know, beautiful house, they renovated it. And then over the years, he wanted to, you know, he's remarried and it was up for sale for a few years and the price went from, I think, 35 million to 26 million or 20 or 42 to 35, I don't remember. Wow. And he even last year or two years ago, he did a, made a video with, you know, an advertising <laughs> video with himself in it, <laughs> trying to sell a house. But most recently, it's, it's, apparently it's been taken off the market. So it's it been like taken off the market. Wow. Yeah, so he's been back. He was back uh, last year. He was yeah. in, interviewed by the local newspaper, and it looks like he'll, he'll keep it and enjoy it. <laughs> I just love the idea of Michael Douglas doing his own marketing video for his house. <laughs> I wonder if that's available online <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> I wonder if I can find it. But going back to your film tours, um, there have been, you know, lots of things filmed on the island uh, over the years, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the most recently is the Mallorca Files. So I'm working on a, a tour uh, visiting the different sites, you know, first, first in Palma. And then I got this idea because the night manager, a lot of it was also filmed here. And then doing investigation, there's, there's a lot of different films I mean, more recent ones, like these two that I'm mentioning, the Kovac, uh, the Kovac Box was another one where it was partly filmed in Palma and throughout, you know, throughout the island. Just before we finish then, practical advice you'd give for people uh, on a visit to Mallorca. I mean, should they rent a car? Would that, mm. would that make a difference? Um, public transport across the mm. island, for example, would... Palma be a good place to base yourself to explore the island or would you suggest other places? Um, well, it depends on the time of year because if you're here in the summer, um, maybe you want to base yourself closer to the coast. It's very hot. Hmm. Palma gets kind of quiet in the heat of the day. Nobody's there. Everybody's out. Everybody's out uh, trying to cool down. So, But in the winter or any other time, because the coast pretty much closes up at the end of October. All of the, the resorts, they just shut down. The hotels are closed. So any other time of year, um, Palma would be fine. And then there's also 
rural hotels and there's agritourism, which um, some stay open, some close. You know, it's important to investigate or have somebody like me who can tell you, you know, <laughs> when, where, where things are open. I would recommend renting a car. And if that's not possible, there's also a, a very good bus system. Um, the TIB, it's called TIB. TIB, okay, TIB. that's the transport uh-huh. system, the network, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the transport system. So they have buses that uh, leave from Palma and they go all over the island. Um, just this past month, they've renovated the buses and expanded the, the timetable. Within Palma itself, there's also the EMT, which is the, the local bus system. So it runs in Palma and then just, you know, the outskirts. And then uh, there's also a metro that doesn't go very far (laughs) (laughs) because it was built during one political party's four years in office. So it wasn't extended after after that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's another story. (laughs) And then there's a train system. So you can catch a train to Inca and then from Inca you can get a bus to go farther on. And the train also goes to Manacor and it stops in different villages. You can get off and get back on the train. So... That, yeah, sounds, that sounds well, like a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite well connected, you know. Gina, I really Perfect. appreciate you joining me on the Wednesday Flame podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear your useful and fascinating insights into the island of Mallorca. Thank you so much for having me. So there you have it. That was Gina. Big thanks to you, Gina, for joining me. Uh, If any listeners are planning uh, potentially a visit to Mallorca in the future, uh, do go and check out Gina's website, which is visitmymallorca.com. Mallorca spelled M-A-L-L-O-R-C-A, visitmymallorca.com. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes of this episode as well. You can also find her on Instagram and see some wonderful photos from her tours that she organises. Her Instagram handle is at visitmymallorca and she also has a Facebook page as well and the handle is the same, at visitmymallorca. So I hope you enjoyed that little excursion around Mallorca. Just got to find a good guest now to talk about the island of Ibiza. Yeah, so if any listeners know someone who lives on Ibiza, knows loads about the island and would be interested in uh, coming onto the podcast to talk about it, then get in touch with me and, uh, well, we'll see what we can do. Coming up in the next episode, we're going to be talking all about the wonderful liquid gold. That's right, extra virgin olive oil, Spanish extra virgin olive oil, of course. I've got a fantastic guest who talks all about the world of Spanish olive oil. In fact, we even do a transatlantic olive oil tasting. So that's coming up in the next episode, which I think I'll be publishing on Friday or Saturday this week. A couple of quick things just before I go. Uh, Don't forget that When in Spain is not just a podcast. We also have a Facebook group as well. Go and find When in Spain on Facebook. You can follow me also on Instagram. The handle is at WhenInSpain1. And you can also find more information about the podcast and more detailed episode notes and photos relating to each episode on the When in Spain website, which is WhenInSpainPodcast.com, of course. Okay, fantastic When in Spain listeners and fans all around the world. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Until the next show, coming up very soon, I shall bid you hasta luego. (laughs) 